Hi friends, you've arrived at The Space In Between. I'm your host, Deneen Sig. I'm an attorney, a mom, an author, an entrepreneur, and a widow. You are in the right place if you want to learn how we will navigate life's transitional moments, both good and not so good. Together, we will find the magic and bring the light to anything you are dealing with. Come sit with us in the space in between. Hi, friends. You're at the space in between. I am Deneen, and I am your host, and we are so fortunate and so lucky that we have Kelly with us yet again. She has become like a de facto co-host on the space in between, and I am here for it. I am so happy that she's here, and I am so loving all the little bits of wisdom that she's sharing and that I'm totally soaking up, and I hope you guys are too. So today, Kelly and I, we have four kids between the two of us. Two are younger, two are older. Our two oldest are about the same age and definitely were the same grade in school. And then our two youngest are about a month apart, and they are also in the same grade and now just hitting that peak season in senior in senior year where there's dances and shows and sports banquets and traditions at whatever high school your kid is in. My daughter had the senior serenade where they walked to a band playing music. Then they went to the Kegel Gate and they all got flowers on their way. And so I'm in Indiana right now. Matthew's in Texas. We used to be in New York, both Kelly and I in the school in New York in Manhattan. And Matthew had some traditions too, I'm sure. They had a grad party. What was it? Villains? Villains and heroes. A grad party with 250 or 300 of his closest friends. He played football all four years in high school, and so that was a big deal. Yeah, Grayson had Senior Assassin, where they sanctioned them, quote-unquote, killing each other with water, with a water gun. So much fun to watch her go through that and hide and everything. So here we are at our space in between. It's been so energetic and fun, sometimes chaotic, sometimes maybe exhausting, to get these kids to the senior level. Now, what we both know to be true is that something again is ending. I won't say a traumatically sudden way. We knew this was happening from the moment we put them in pre-K, that their school years were going to end, at least with us as the main driver. And now both of our kids, along with our older two, are going to be off to college. But for Kelly and I, and for some of you out there who have just sent your youngest to college, you are now in the space in between being a busy high school mom or dad and now being a less busy empty nester because Mm -hmm. you've just sent your last kid to school. What does that feel like? What does it bring up? What do you do when you're in that space in between? You haven't fully accepted the empty nester title. And we've talked about the titles before. You may want to reject it. You may be anxious for it. In some cases, I've been both. And so Kelly had some ideas and I wanted to explore them with her. I think one of your ideas, Kelly, was like, what does this give you time? Or what is something that you finally are going to address or engage in or practice or learn about? Because now you have some freed up time. I started exploring this idea of empty nest when Matthew started his senior year and started reading up about it and what does it do to your psyche? What does it do to your marriage? What does it do to your relationship with your kids? And the conclusion that I came to for me, and it's different for everybody, is that it's an opportunity for me to find who I am now 
and what I want to be about. We know when you have your kids at home, you're somebody's mom. Like that has been so much of our identity. And you're also somebody who gets to determine what your days consist of. Most schools will give you those two different weeks. And now all of a sudden, you can go on an off-peak vacation because your kid's in college. If you're like me and you have a dog and a cat or like Kelly and you have four dogs, you do have to find something to help normalize the household while you're gone. And all of us, let's face it, even though our kids are 18 or 17, we're still trying to make sure they eat dinner. We're still trying to make sure that there's food in the house for them. At least most of us are. If you're not, I want to hear from you and how you got there. That's super cool. If for some reason it doesn't guide your day. Now, all of a sudden, we don't have to make sure there's dinner on the table unless some people are married and their spouses might want that or that might be a deal between the two of them that it's going to be on the table every night still or something. But hearkening back to another episode that we recorded, I mentioned that I loved when my husband would travel for business because I could put dinner on the table for the kids, get them in bed. And then I remember the sheer bliss of just being able to eat salty popcorn and diet Pepsi and watch a dumb show. I could do it because nobody was watching. But every once in a while, wouldn't it be great? And I will sit down. It might be a Tito's now instead of a Diet Pepsi and just enjoy it and not feel like I'm selling someone short. In between my divorce and remarriage, I'd go to Taco Cabana and get chips and trio and I would sit in the middle of the living room floor and just eat. I was so disgusting, but it was really good. It's exciting to me because I'm getting to concentrate on me now. I'm getting to spend energy. The majority of my energy is around what I want to do and when I want to do it. And I think that's exciting. And so one of the things that I'm actually doing, because I'm 49, and I decided that for the next year, I'm going to do 50 new experiences, things I've never done before. So that sort of aligns with this idea of realizing, like, what are my passions now that I'm this age? What can I spend my time on that makes me happy now? Matthew and Drew will always need their mom at times here and there. But I just think it's really exciting to come out of the cocoon again and think, okay, what does Kelly in her 50s look like? And what does she want to be known for? And what are her priorities and values and things like that? So it's almost like a reset, which is an exciting reset. First of all, I'm really excited to Bogart on her London trip. So that might be a lot of fun. And I think it's an amazing idea. And I would encourage anyone that's listening, that sounds like an amazing way to deal with your space in between where you really start to settle into being an empty nester, but you're saying goodbye in a content way. You're saying goodbye to the time where you did have to get dinner on the table or you did have to make sure there was milk in the house or whatever your teenager needed and didn't ever get themselves. So I love that, Kelly. I really do. I think I had approached this time because I had a husband that was also really sick and dying. I had so much purpose around being not only a mom, but the head of the household and making sure everybody was okay. And there were nights when my kids were really little. And I remember my sister-in-law saying to me once, don't you just feel like literally doing that little tally above your head where you take your finger and you strike it down because you've just crossed off another day? where they woke up, they were fed three times at least, quality meals, at least two of them. They were dressed, disrobed, bathed, cleaned, and then put pajamas. And now they are sleeping. It is such a feeling when they were little that you got them through the day, 
but now they're in clean pajamas and they're sleeping. And I remember taking so much pleasure in that and her verbalizing that. It was an amazing vocalization of that feeling. So I used to have that same feeling when my kids were getting older and I would get them through a hospital visit with my husband. I would get through maybe some bad news from the doctor. I would get through maybe advocating for my son with a baseball coach that wasn't seeing his potential. All our sports moms, we have something to say about our kids' potential. Maybe then negotiating with a dance instructor about what ballet class my daughter should be put in, thinking about them, trying to get a good dinner on the table, going over homework, making sure that jersey is ready the next day or the cleats. And then you take that sense of pride. And once again, you do prayers, you go over things. Maybe you don't do prayers in your house. Maybe you read. Prayers was really a euphemism for also talking with the kids about things that were on their mind. And you do that, the house is quiet for a minute. And so that becomes a purpose-driven situation that gives you value. It makes you feel used in a good way. You're living your purpose. You're getting your family through. So now there's going to be no one to make sure they got to school, no one to make sure they got back. Now we have these kids. They're still out there. We're still their moms. But we're not going to be involved in that day-to-day as heavy as we were. Like Kelly is saying, where do you derive your purpose then? Most people, it's not just in their job, although a lot of people have amazingly fulfilling jobs. But where do you fill in that space in between being that full-time mom to part-time momhood, at least for a while? Who knows? Our kids may all move back in with us, and we don't know what the future holds. So how do you shift down from being full-time to part-time? I love the fact that you brought up loss of purpose because I remember as you were going through that, I remember telling my mom after I had Drew, my oldest child, and I said to her, now my life has purpose. She was like, you don't have purpose? And I was like, no, it's not about that. It's just, I feel like now my purpose in life is to help this human grow up to be kind and generous and loving and inquisitive and all of this sort of stuff. So I think losing that sense of purpose and trying to reframe it is really important. But there's something called the empty nest syndrome, mostly in women. But it's the feeling, the sadness that parents feel when their children move out. It could be that loss of purpose. And I battled against that loss of purpose. I didn't want it. When Cole first went to school, I almost moved. I'm like, I want to be able to go to dinner with him on a Wednesday night. I didn't want it to happen. I tried desperately to control it. You can't. Time marches for everybody. And then I met someone and thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be amazing. We're going to be empty nesters like out on the town having fun all the time. Now I'm single, but there's a different thing that has come over me. And my sister verbalized this. I said, I just am so tired of fighting with the kids about keeping the house clean. And I am not by any stretch an OCD housekeeping mom, but I cannot stand the utter chaos that is reflected in how they live. And I don't want to be fighting every day, but I'm like, you need to pick up all these dirty dishes and clothes and all these things. If someone shows up to take them downstairs to our finished basement and not have it, I'm like, oh my gosh. That's going to be amazing. I will say I started counseling and I started it because I was trying to figure out what does this look like for me? And did your therapist help you with the 50 ideas? She does help me think about where I want to spend my time. I'm going to have more time on my hands. I'm not going to have to 
worry about practices and games. Where am I going to exert that energy now? And it should be back into your marriage. I just want to say that it is a transition. It is a space in between. And being able to tap into people who know is, I think, very important. I love the 50. I really do. I just feel like maybe we should do a side series on that. I don't know that I'm ready to tackle something like that. I love new experiences. Might tag along for a few of them, like I've said. But I love the idea of someone focusing on themselves. You want to call in, manifest, bring in to your life. And then that experience, you may go to a place, for example, what's one of the experiences where you're going to go, not London, but a one day experience? We went to the water at that floating water park. So you're going to get something from just going there. But then also, what's the intrinsic, unmeasured something you get from going there? That's all awesome to have photographic evidence of this amazing realization. But then what is the unmeasured, intrinsic, unknown value that contributes in a positive way to your space in between? That's immeasurable. And I hope immeasurable in good quantities for you and for anybody else that chooses things like that. What did it bring you to next? What energetically did that call in because you did it? That's something that I love. I just love the idea and the possibility It's giving me chills to think about what that could call to anyone's life. Yeah, it's so funny because when we did this water park thing a couple weekends ago, I remember driving home from it thinking, oh, this is what joy feels like. I was able to be a little kid and just run around and fall down and everybody was there. We spent so much time just churning and getting things done. And when you are able to take that break, that beat and just find joy, I feel like I chase down joy like a full-time job. And at times in my life, my recent past, I've come up really full. And my very recent past, I'm not even able to really chase it. I know it's out there. If I hear something great, I'm going to want to do it. But I think just putting yourself out there, being willing to go to the water park and just go, you know what? I'm a grown woman and I'm going to go to a water park. Or for me, maybe I've always wanted to race a car. Like I've always wanted to do a couple of things. I have a friend who owns a skydive company. We started a group for widows and widowers, by the way, if anyone's listening, called Hammers and Hugs. The only requirement is you must be a widow or widower to join. It's a group that we just try to help each other. Again, it's different than what I'm doing here on the podcast, but Randy and I work on this group much less now than we did, say, two years ago. But he owns a skydive company with, I think, planes in Florida, Arizona. He used to tell me, I'm going to take you skydive. And I'm like, no, I don't mind that idea. I'm actually thrilled by it. My friend Gary used to say this when he started to achieve some wealth. I'm never jumping out of a plane that's working right. And I'm not saying I'll never, but it just doesn't turn me on. I don't feel like I'm going to get something out of it. As much as I love to go fast in a car, I often close my eyes on a roller coaster. I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy the high and low motion. And I really feel that skydiving would mimic that pit of the stomach feel, but pressing 180 or something in a fast car on a track is like lighting up my fire right now. Have you read Shonda Rhimes' Year of Yes? I don't necessarily read the book, but we were like, this is our Year of Yes. Yeah, it's about saying yes to things that make you uncomfortable. It's almost like in the past, if you would have said, nah, that's sort of a kid thing to do, or that's a childish thing to do, or only daredevils do those things, just do it. I have a bunch of ideas on my list of 50. 
I have a handful of things that I already know I'm going to do. And I want to walk the Camino. I want to do karaoke. I'm really good at Paul Revere by the Beastie Boys. I know the words, so I could do that. But it's not really singing. It's just rapping. That's just some things that I want to do. But even like there's a pottery class that is in our neighborhood. And I'm like, I've never done that before. I think that would be fun. And it's just saying, how many things can I say yes to that are brand new? I'm really going to adapt that because I think it will help when I'm in my funk. Because remember, we were talking recently and I was like, I don't know. I thought I was going to go to Ireland this summer. Now I don't want to because it was associated with somebody else. I always wanted to return back to Italy. I don't want to go right now. There's nothing that's jazzing me. But if I think about it in smaller clips, like a racetrack, a pottery class, or I wanted to do pole dancing two years ago. I wanted to be strong enough in my body to do it, not strong enough in how I felt I looked for the aesthetics. I wanted to be strong enough to be like JLo if it excites someone that's in my life, even better if that ever happens. But it was really about just wanting to conquer that idea that I pole danced. Do you think this is a midlife crisis thing? I don't think so. Honestly, I think a midlife crisis might be me looking at these ridiculous race cars right now. Most women don't go out and get like a two-seater. I want to get a fancy German fast car. When I told her I was possibly going to get a Porsche, she was like, are you kidding? That's a no. But I did promise I would look at the more SUV line of that car maker. So another thing with the whole empty nest syndrome is the lack of control. Do you think that's one of the symptoms is like you freak out about the lack of control of your kids? Do we feel like maybe these are ways that we can take that control? In some ways, by the planning or the desire and then achieving the desire of the car or the skydive or the lake. But there's also doubling down on the lack of control. A race car on a track is a lack of control. A skydive is a lack of control. I think you do accept almost maybe a bit of that loss of control in a way that's like, I'm going to bring it on myself. I think when we explore going from busy senior moms to kids as freshmen in college and you go see them for family weekend and you really aren't supposed to be there all the time, you really are supposed to let these kids find their way through their space. Grayson found an amazing group in her last year of high school past Christmas where most groups are formed. She found this amazing group of friends and I became friends with the parents and all that. These kids are going to be in college and maybe not have that same group around them. As we're navigating the space in between of being an empty nester, they're going to now navigate what it means to be a really small fish in a very big sea and very few people knowing their name even. Hopefully they all do well in navigating that space. And like you mentioned, Kelly, it might be a good idea for another podcast, have our younger ones talk about once they've been there a few months, what it feels like to really start to navigate that space in between being a successful high school senior hopefully not a forgotten freshman in college, but someone who may be struggling to form new groups and new support systems in college. What advice would you give? Because, you know, we've had older ones that went off to school. What advice would you give to people who are dropping their kids and having your relationship changing? I struggled with that. But what happened for me, which was horrible, after Cole was dropped at school, Grayson was injured within five days started a series of operations. She went through three. By her third surgery, as Jonathan was failing and probably going to die, I was so distracted the first year with trying to keep the other two 
members of my family safe that I didn't have that until the second year. And surprisingly, when I mentioned to other parents, they told me that they too went through something very much more difficult in the sophomore drop-off than they did in the freshman. There was a blessing in the distraction of those two truly horrific moments. But my advice would be, if you miss your kid, go see your kid. Maybe just say, hey, can I come and take you to dinner? If you're close enough to drive, I was not close enough to drive, but people, I did it anyway. I made that 12-hour trip because I started to miss him. He was always excited to go to dinner with me. So I would advise that if you can, you don't want to make it a habit, but everybody needs crutches after they first get something cut off, right? Or something gets altered in their body. Maybe it's a healthy crutch to say, you know what? I'm missing Dylan. I'm missing Steve. I'm missing Matthew. And I'm going to go have dinner with my kid. I'm going to stay one night and I'm going to just see them, give them a hug. And it did help me. There were times where it was not really on the schedule, but I got myself either in a plane or in my car and I went and saw him. And sometimes for just one night when I had that really difficult sophomore year. There's a survey that said it takes parents an average of three months to get used to an empty house. What would you say to that? I don't know if I'll get used to an empty house. Honestly, I'm wondering what that will feel like. My in-laws, they're my late husband's parents, so it's not like I'm actively in-lawing with them right now. But before my husband passed, they had one kid move back and he was successful, had a job. His wife had a job. They both moved back and lived in this large apartment. Their other kid lived in their country house, so they saw them on the weekends. I think they would have been thrilled if me and my husband moved into that apartment too. Like, they didn't have an empty nest. They always had someone cycling in or out to live with them. And they encouraged it. Whereas my parents, I think, were like, would you ever want to move? That's crazy. My parents looked at them and just thought my in-laws were insane and didn't understand it at all. I wish we had somebody here that's done this before, because I've heard great things, people who reconnect with their spouse and people who go on trips and all that. And then I've heard really hard things. I've heard both too. I've heard of friends that are just despondent. They look at their husband or wife or partner and they're like, we're done. I don't have a reason to stay with you anymore. I met someone for coffee last week and she is in the space in between. And when we talked about the podcast, she said to me, I have been slowly building new connections separate from my husband because I know that we're not going to make it. At one point I said, you know, what do you do for social life? Because she was like, I want to see you again. I want to hang out. And I was like, okay, well, what do you do for a social life? And she's like, right now it's very couple oriented. I don't know if that's advice or not, or I don't even know if it's a tale of caution. Well, I think the interesting thing that you said is that it's almost like what I'm doing too. You're preparing for what you want your life to look like. And I think putting plans into action after your kids are gone, it's less angsty. I think so. In every case, whether it's your kids, the job search, I think when you can put something into action, that is what has saved me. But when I can't find something to put into action, that is what almost kills me. I think that's a mindset thing. That's why we have this podcast. What you're talking about, Kelly, really, is that you adapted a mindset that was going to get you through this year where Matthew goes off and you are a true empty nester. I'm still trying to figure out where my mindset will be, where my vibe will be for this to get me through. You've recently asked me, like, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? And I have in a lot of ways, not the most concrete ideas yet. And so other people have brought up that once Gray is gone and she's at school and Cole's back at school, maybe things will present and come to me and I'll know. 
But as for now, I am trying to remain hopeful and open to whatever the universe is going to bring to me next. This may be a place where you're advanced from me and I can't really help you and you can inspire me by what you're doing, but I can only sit back and watch and hope to find my own 50 things or my own new challenge in that vein. Talking about the new relationship with our youngest, is there anything we can learn from our oldest? What can we learn from them leaving and how our relationship changed with them and utilize that with Gray and Matthew? With Cole, I tried really hard to keep up some of the traditions that I think were really good for the three of us. One of them was this thing of prayers at night and then discussion. And I tried to keep that up with Cole, but he had a roommate. He was sometimes embarrassed to do the prayers. I let that go. Now neither one of my kids really wants to be associated with religion. They're both questioning it. It's really a hard thing for me. I guess a piece of advice would be maybe I shouldn't have let that go. And I should have said, you know, we're still going to get on the phone and have a prayer session where it's really more about thankfulness and gratefulness. Tell me five things you're thankful for today. Tell me who you're thinking about tonight. It wasn't like this deeply religious plan. I did try to bring out this community that we did every night up until Cole went to college. We did this for over 18 years. My advice would be if there's a tradition, even if it would be more difficult to keep in place, if it's a high-low of the week, if it's a prayer, try to keep that in place to keep that connection going. I would advise that if I could go back and do it again, I would say to Cole, you've got to find a time for 10 minutes when you're alone and we can do this because it kept me and Cole and Grayson as this very solid triangle that I feel in some ways has been degraded a little bit. And I wonder how we'll get it back with her going to school. I hope to form new connections with her at school. I did with Cole, like the sophomore year was rocky, but by the end of sophomore year, meeting some of the baseball kids, the fraternity kids that he was with, that formed a new relationship where he was like, oh, it's cool to have mom here because this one's bringing their mom and dad. So all of a sudden there's like a parents group and there's a student group and you hang out like you did in preschool and elementary. You somewhat hang out with some of your kids' friends' parents. I would invite that. If you're married, don't just go with your husband and stand in a corner. You understand the traditions of their school. Grayson was only at Park Tudor for a year and the traditions of Park Tudor the same way the traditions that we experienced back at PS3, some of those songs and things, they will stay, I think, with Grayson forever. I think Cole has some traditions probably more associated with baseball or the fraternity than with the college, but they will stay with him. And so I'm glad to have been a part of it. And I would hope and suggest to every parent out there, really try to dig into your kids' school's traditions, but bring your family, like I said, the prayers or the gratitude or whatever you do with your kids now. Whatever you do around the dinner table, whether it's you only eat dinner once a week together, I would bring that into their college years if you could. I just want to say, and I don't know if you feel the same way, but when our kids were younger, I remember people saying things like, just wait till they get to be teenagers. Every year got better to me. My boys as teenagers and now as young men are some of my most favorite times with them. And so... Building that relationship and carrying that in to see how they're going to grow and be successful at college is really great. But also to your point, making sure that you have that tie back to home. My advice would be that 
always plan the next time you're going to see your kid. So, okay, we're going to see you in two weeks. I think that helped us the first time. And then the second piece of advice is they need to come home on their birthdays. I just spent my first true birthday apart from Cole last year. I was a wreck all weekend. It's also my dad's birthday weekend. And I just remember saying to my then partner, just promise me next year, we will not be in Indiana. Like I have to be either with my dad or my son, preferably both. Cole's turning 21. So I want to be there. I like the idea of let them come home for their birthdays. He's either with his spring break and the training, he's been able to catch Grayson's birthday, I think once in three years. And next year, he'll probably miss it again. So if it had been his birthday, I would have had to go to him like he couldn't come home. And that's another piece of advice for the kids, I think, as parents, just because they may not have made a team or they thought they were going to go D1 or D3. I'm just talking to sports parents right now, where you went through this journey with your kid from when they were eight until they were 18. And you really want to see them on a college sport. If they're not, there's club teams where you can still go and watch your kid. They can still get that competitive thing. It's a very huge stabilizing thing for both of my kids to play competitive sports. Because my son is on a D3 team, I told my daughter, you might be able to pick up a club volleyball or just play tennis and she's getting better. She was a cheerleader. Find them because those are stabilizing things for your kids. Encourage them. Don't completely abdicate your position as a parent. I've said that to Gray too. I really want you to seek out a dance group or a dance class. I want you to seek out a club volleyball, intramurals, whatever it is. I believe that brings stability and improved mental health and clarity to students. One of the common threads is finding your people in your community, those who will endure it with you, those who will listen. Again, it goes back to what I said about becoming friends. Maybe this is not the easiest thing to do. Like you said, if you're an introvert, But if you do strike up a friendship with some of the parents of some of the kids your kid is going through college with, there may be some extremely fertile ground for shared experiences there. They may have just put their youngest in college as well. The chances of it are much higher than finding someone randomly in your town with your kid's graduating class. If you weren't close with parents there, you could also learn who they're hanging out with at college. That's not as easy. I think you could seek it out in friends or ask friends, hey, I know that right now you have a ninth grader. You don't have someone going through this. Is there someone I could talk to or could you put me in touch with that person and just see if you have a good vibe together, the chemistry is good, and you can maybe adapt into a friendship of that sort by finding someone who's going through something similar. That always, I think, is really rich ground for the beginning of a relationship, the beginning of a friendship, having a lot of commonality. We will, of course, have a tie-in on Instagram and possibly Facebook and YouTube, and we would love to hear or read your thoughts on this. Listeners, if you're out there and you have some really great tips about surviving the space in between and going to empty nest, I would love to hear things for all different types and diversity of families, a single mom, a single dad, a gay alternate couple, a married couple, a straight married couple, like I would like to hear tips from everyone so that someone can mine that for something that's useful for them, where they identify with a specific person or they can relate with what's going on. I came across something that says, essentially, your child is going to make poor decisions. I remember dropping my oldest off at an internship somewhere, and he 
FaceTimed us in the car as we were driving away. And he said to me, how do I put this name tag on? And I thought to myself, oh my gosh, I've never taught my kid how to put a name tag on. They'll always need you for something and then it'll just be funny. The other thing was I remember dropping, and I'm sure Matthew will have many of these instances too, but we've learned in Drew's experience. We got him into his dorm room, stocked his refrigerator full of food to get him started, and we were driving the three hours back home, and he called and he said, hey, you know the food in my refrigerator? And I said, yes. And he goes, if I eat that, does it go against my cafeteria? (laughs) I started laughing. I was like, what? That's where his brain went. And I said, Drew, who bought that food? And he was like, you did. And I was like, yes. (laughs) There's going to be laughable situations. I'm still needed as kids grow up. It's just so funny to see how they approach different things. And I think holding on to that joy and trying to find that joy in this sort of transition period is going to be really funny. Like even leaving your kids at school, five minutes later, you might get a phone call that makes you belly laugh. Let's call those things in. If you're listening to this right now and you're about to drop off a kid at school or you just did, ask for that. Just say, I'm open to like something funny and heartwarming happening and look for it. And then let us know if you find it because I love that idea. You call that in, you say, I would love to have just something that's going to lift my spirit today because we already know you're low. The universe knows you're low. You just dropped off your kid. It's low. Just be like, I'm open to like something really funny happening or something really fun. I hope this is a great day. So thank you guys for listening. This has been so much fun. I feel so fortunate that we got Kelly back again to sit with us and go over this. Look for the next episode very quickly on whatever device that you use, whether it's Apple or Spotify. It's going to be across all channels. Look for our Instagram. Just look for us and hopefully we'll connect with you there. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for joining me today. Remember that even in your worst days, there is always something beautiful. You just need to look for it. Until next time.